Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network, home of the Firebird Book Awards and the Positive Change Podcast Awards. We also feature one-on-one author interviews with important guests, people who have something to say that you need to hear. And if you have something to say and would like to be featured on the Authors on Fire podcast, please visit speakuptalkradio.com for all of the details or contact me at pr at speakuptalkradio.com. I am Pat Rulo, and right now, I'm so happy to share two authors with you, Blake and Sherry Shimshock, and we're going to share their books titled The Hunt for Valdun and book two in their series, The Edge of the Abyss. Again, these books were written by both Blake and Sherry, and I'm so excited to find out all about a writing duo collaboration. So welcome to Authors on Fire, Sherry and Blake. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, listen, before we get into your book, maybe each of you just tell us a little bit about yourselves. Blake and I both grew up in California here, and uh, I got into writing as a child. My grandparents were really supportive of all things creative. There's a lot of creativity in the family, and uh, I grew up reading. My love of words just took off. I, I, as a small child, I was reading everything from Alice in Wonderland, the real one, not the Disney version, and, um, you know, authors like Jane Eyre and, or stories like Jane Eyre, um, and authors like Charles Dickens. And I just really fell in love with telling things and giving imagery through, through words. What I'm not as good at is what Blake is really good at, which is what makes this fun. We're, uh, we met, we met in college and, um, here at Riverside Community College and, uh, just, um, hit it off as friends for, uh, for quite a long time based on him being the storyteller and me loving the words. Um, Blake, you want to tell a little bit about yourself and where you come from? In my backstory, <laughs> I, uh, my dad and, uh, my uncle were projectionists at local theaters here in town. So I grew up watching films. I was a very young boy when my parents took me to see Taxi Driver of all films. So I, I like Martin Scorsese and different directors like that. And I just love telling the visual story. And then I got into, uh, at school, uh, we got into things. And, um, so then I got into reading books like that. And I think it's just the, with my father, you know, influencing me. Uh, my mother was a science fiction fan. She introduced me to Doctor Who and early Star Trek. And then in 77, when Star Wars came out, that blew me away. And because of my father and uncle being projectionists, we were part of the first group to actually see them film at eight o'clock in the morning before the whole world, you know, knew about this. And so I was already blown away two hours prior to the world. <laughs> and, uh, I just felt like, well, I have a story to tell. And, and, uh, that's when Derek Fade was born. You know, as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking the the common thread here is family and parents and grandparents and and the relationships that they have with their young to help foster this excitement and this interest. You both seem to have that and then came together. Yeah, 
That's that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. I think uh, in my case, my grandmother was very creative and she loved to write. My grandfather wrote songs and played the guitar and mm-hmm. sang. And uh, it just kind of was that kind of family. Mm-hmm. And as, as, as creative as they all were, we didn't, neither one of us, and I can't really speak for Blake, but for myself, I guess just uh, spending so much time around family who came out of a depression era, my grandparents, yes. it was always, as much as we were creative, it was always this back of your mind thought that you had to be practical. Mm-hmm. So it never occurred to me to go to college and learn to write. It never occurred to me that something that was so creative could also be a career. And I think that's one reason why Blake and I inspired each other so much when we came together. The the link between our childhoods, the way we were raised, and then the decisions we made in between. And here we are as uh, much later in life saying, you know what? Why not? Why Why not give it a shot? And we have day jobs, but this is something that just means so much. And Blake spent so much of his life thinking these characters into life. And it gives me such a great pleasure to be able to take all of his crazy characters and plots and and describe them, you know, tell them. And we just, I don't know, there's some, there's definitely it, it continues as a family bond mm-hmm. in this, in our generation as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. What, was there a moment, you know, you said, why not? Was there a moment that, that hit you that said, why not? Let's start writing. Was there something that happened or how did that come about where you actually said, let's start writing a book together? That's funny. Um, well, we spent a lot of time in college, post-college, and even, you know, when we were, when we were married, playing around with filmmaking because Blake loves to make short films as well and, and has done that. And he would write down all these great ideas that were too big to put into a three minute or five minute short film. <laughs> and one day I decided, eh, I'll say this to play hooky from work. And I said, you know, can I just take one of your screenplays and play with it? And I, it just hit me that that would be just so much fun watching him do all this creative stuff and I and I wanted to find a way to like it just made me want to bring back what I loved so much about my creative writing classes in college and he gave me an opportunity to do that it was it was just that day and I spent the entire day and into the night I'd have tea to keep myself awake and then I'd have a glass of wine to relax and be more creative and when I thought I was going to fall asleep I'd have tea again and um <laughs> and uh, it just it just happened one day like that it was fun oh I love that yeah, I came home from my job and she had about 50 60 pages <laughs> written I'm like wow okay <laughs> And that's when you knew, hey, this could be something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So- yeah, I come up with the storylines, um, how I come up with my stories. I go online and got real world problems. And in the first story, it's about poaching. Uh, we have gun runners, drug dealers, you know, all the things that play your society. I just throw it into a science fiction setting. 
So the first book, The Hunt for Valdun, let's let's talk about that and how that came about and give us a little peek. Okay, uh it's a funny story about some of the character Valdun. Uh we had a orange tabby cat and my father, he was very good at coming up with nicknames and he just called the cat Valdun, just playing around with him. I go, Where did that come from? And he didn't know and it, it stuck with me. So I, I write these things down. I run off to my room and write them down. And uh, I have a, a love of James Bond films. So Derek Fade is like uh, James 007. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so, and then he just goes into these real-world problems, and but it's for the galaxy. And the story takes place in a fictional galaxy, and no Earth, and uh, he's part of the GIA, which is the equivalent of like FBI or CIA. It's On called a galactic the scale. Yeah, yeah. Galactic Intelligence Agency. But what, what I what I enjoyed a lot about it is while the story on its surface, well, while the story has a very dark uh, a dark sense to it, in that this is an agent of a, of the Galactic Intelligence Agency who has spent his career chasing down criminals across the galaxy and bringing justice and then his own wife is murdered by one of them mm-hmm. and uh he he really struggles with who am i now uh am i about revenge is that who i've you know kind of devolved into because he wants he's hunting valdun because he he not just because he knows deep down it's not because he's a GIA agent, but because he wants to seek revenge for his wife's murder. And yet at the same time, he struggles because you, you can, he struggles with, but I'm still law and order. I'm still that guy that cares. And he just goes, he's kind of in a dark place. And yet at the same time, the book doesn't take itself so seriously that it's not a fun escapism ride. Uh, it kind of has an Indiana Jones feel a little bit to it. And does the plot come organically, or do you sit together ahead of time and figure out who's going to do what, how it's going to end, where it's going to go, who the characters are? I came up with the scenarios a few years ago, and then we just hash them out. On a weekend, you know, over tea, and we sit in our offices or in the front room going over the details. And it's a funny story. Here we, the very first story written was the first story in the second book. And um, it got to be too big. So I said, okay, I need to create a backstory. So then that's when I... Uh, took out all these older characters, the bad guy, and let's let's start from the beginning and then move forward that way. Yeah. So when when we work on these together, I it, and I guess that's what makes such a great partnership is, like I said, I love words and I love to describe things. But as a kid, every one of my stories would fall flat, even though my teachers would say you're a really good writer. I couldn't think of a good story to tell. I just wanted to describe autumn leaves and kids skipping and sunsets. And, you know, I wanted to describe stuff. But he comes up with all the storylines. And they're his characters and his storylines. And then grab our gigantic marker board. And sometimes 
our grandchildren's toys, because if we're acting out an action scene, I sometimes <laughs> need to play with something physical like characters, like, like toys, in order to um, see, well, if you hit somebody here, which way do they fly? Yeah. <laughs> And then through the marker board, we, like, rewrite and tweak and tweak and tweak the plots and the action scenes until we're 100% sure that it makes sense and that it, it flows. I got a visual of Blake sitting in this sunny front room and, and Sherry's throwing things, plastic toys, and he's trying to make sure his tea yeah. doesn't fall over. <laughs> <laughs> you too. <laughs> Room is full of dinosaur toys. <laughs> I love this. Yep. You two are so meant to do this. I mean, you took both of your talents and, and, and married them together, literally, and create this. It's got to feel so, so rewarding to be able to share this creativity together. Yeah. 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 It, it, it is. It's, uh, it's kind of a relief to me mm-hmm. because I always thought that it was something that would just be in the back of my life and never, I didn't, I had given up on the idea of having outlet for it. Mm-hmm. And, and then Blake kind of showed me that that's not necessarily how it has to be. Ah, yeah. Here you are. So initially you didn't really think you were writing a series, but then it got so big that you knew you had to break it into two. Is that how that worked out? Yes. Yeah, the, the, we, the first editor that we hired, our developmental editor, she was, uh, super helpful. And one of the things she said is, you've got too much. She said, you've got more than one book here. So why don't you expand a little on a few things, break it into two and start and, and just think about it as the bigger story. It can be the bigger story that you wanted it to be. I think we were cutting it down too much and she was, she was giving us some really good advice and it kind of just ended up being two parts. Yes. And they came pretty quickly. As I recall seeing the publish date, they were pretty close to each other in publishing dates. Yes. Mm-hmm. Each individual actor is a story on its own. It's a single adventure. And then the story arc over the two books, you find out how Derek resolves his, 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 personal issues, his broken heart, his desire to, you know, to uh, hunt out Baldoon. Uh, but in each individual chapter is his own, a mission that he goes on. And those moved around over time. You know, like he said, the first mission ended up being in the second book. Because the story arc started to reveal itself to us. You know, how would this person based on each individual adventure, each individual um, mission that he's sent on by his new boss, how would that affect what he's feeling and how where he's going in his life? And the, the arc just kind of appeared. It just kind of rose like the sun. Ah, he's got to do this before he can do that. And once he gets here, he's going to see himself in a different way, you know, and it just kind of came together like that and ended up in two books. Mm-hmm. So the edge of the abyss, the second book, is that the conclusion or is there more to come? It's the conclusion for the hunt for Valdoon, but I'm actually working on volume three and four. Okay. And I have a uh, six of them planned. <laughs> He's got a head full. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a head full. <laughs> 
how hard is it to go to work in the day? I mean, with all of this going on in your mind, you probably just want to be oh, sitting my. together to write, huh? Well, for me, it's a little easier because I, I run a social media group for a, um, a, a small company. So when I give my assignments out to my crew, I sit at my desk and jot down st- <laughs> story plots and until it's time for me to do something on a computer or look like I'm working. <laughs> but it's a little easier for me to uh, do that. And then when I come home, I just jump on the computer for about three, four hours a night, passion stuff out. Yeah, I find it more difficult because of the kind of I, – I work for – I actually work for the city of Riverside, the municipality that we live in, and it's rewarding to – to be a, ser- a public servant for the city you live in. But uh, city government is kind of consuming, believe it or not. It comes home with me. I wake up with it. Uh, at one point, I felt almost like it was affecting my ability to switch brain, to switch over to the creative side. Uh, and I, I started to write something for Blake, and it's like a staff report instead of a story. And I just have to turn it off. And then be able to turn it back on. And I find that kind of difficult sometimes. You know, I just did a short blog post about writing rituals where you have to pretty much psychologically, as you're just as you're saying, turn everything off. And maybe before you begin to write, start with something that indicates to your brain and to your body and spirit that now I am in writing mode. I, I, I don't know what it would be, but, uh, you know, different people do different things. But it, it is a challenge. Yes, it is. One thing that helps me is I love gardening. So if I can, especially on summer nights, you know, when uh, the sun will be out after I'm home from work, I'll just go out and quietly by myself work in, I have a really nice garden in the backyard and, and I'll listen to the birds until it starts to get a little dark and, and just dig in the dirt. <laughs> and um, that kind of pulls me out of my uh my public service mode you know um it gets me away from city work and sometimes that's a good start uh but yeah it can be it can be quite it can be quite challenging i i have a hard time turning off things that are on my mind sometimes <laughs> well that's because you're you're a person who cares and and it's not just a job you obviously care about what you're doing so it's actually a positive at the end. Let's talk about characters. Uh, how do you master character development? Who does what? How does that come about? Well, I have a what we call a Bible of all my characters. I just I just really good at coming up with crazy names, but I like names that are pronounceable because I've read some sci-fi uh, stories where the name is really long and it kind of slows down your reading. So I was concerned about that. You know, I, I wanted to make a character with a cool name that flows. And let's see what else we, I also use my friends as a <laughs> template for reference, you know, their personalities and everything. And, you know, in the eighties, I was in a in a heavy metal band and all that scene. And we'd go to the nightclubs all the time. And it comes out in these stories. They they go to a lot of clubs and bars and, <laughs> and yeah, they get into fights and everything and, and all that too. And I guess that comes out from my personal life. 
I think to once we established Derek, we understood his motivation. We understood why he needed to do what he did and what he does. Uh, we understand why he's so difficult to get along with, and particularly in the beginning. Um, and he has a reputation for being a very difficult person to get along with. Um, once we established him, the other characters, we would sit and ask ourselves, how does this character, who is this person? Who are they on their own right? And who are they in relation to Derek? And we, we, we always try to round that out because, um, it's too easy to place a character in a story to suit the story. And it shows. If you read a book where, or you read a story where a character is doing or acting or saying in, in ways that are, just seem to exactly fit the bill all the time, it, it, it doesn't feel as real, you know? Um, and by the same token, everything he writes, I go back and sit down with him and say things like, okay, we know she's this kind of person. Would she really say that? We know she's this kind of person. We know that she's done this and that. Is this what she would do right now? And then we argue until we're in agreement about what, <laughs> about what he or she would do. We argue until we're in agreement. <laughs> That's a good one. I like it. Nobody, nobody loses, right? Right. Yeah, we're all winners. Yeah, we're all yeah. Winners. because it always forwards, and, and we're, you know, that's something that I wonder if that would have a, a, an odd effect on our on our real relationship, yeah. our marriage, yeah. um, because I'm kind of outspoken, and I and I'll say that doesn't work. That doesn't work. We can't have him do that. If he did that, he wouldn't do this, mm-hmm. and he will argue back with me. But Blake is so. He he's such a believer in the end product yeah. that he doesn't take it. That he doesn't take my like pushing this the wrong way or the critiques, or the yeah. critiques or any of that. And, and then I have to sometimes remind myself and just okay, look, yeah. <laughs> he knows his baby. So let's go. <laughs> Blake, you said something that I think is just absolutely genius, and I wish that everybody who writes fantasy or sci-fi would hear what you said, and that's about the names. Sometimes you'll you'll get that, where the characters have these long, involved names and vowels and consonants all intertwined in you know, the seven syllables, and when you're reading that, you do slow down. You have to stop, and sometimes I even just give that character my own nickname just call him k or something because it's too hard to, uh-huh. it's too hard to read i'm so happy you said that and uh, yeah i think people really need to take that to heart the, the name could be cool but for a reader sometimes it's exhausting to have to look at that long name and and you know not get to the point of the of the story yes now, there's a trick that i do and because i have Again, a Bible of all my planets, and I have maps and everything on the computer. If I have a certain planet, I go to a country. I go online. I'm an armchair traveler. <laughs> and I look up uh, rituals and um, let's see, what was the word I'm looking for? Just uh, cult- cultures, cultures, cultures of countries. And I put those onto the planets. Like I, I'll go to Africa and I take African names. 
but I reword, I switch them around, turn them backwards and play with them. And they come up, you know, so they can kind of just roll out when you read them. Right. Right. So, so important. Oh, I'm so glad we highlighted that. Never know what little nugget you're going to come across when you have these conversations. (laughs) Um, so as you're writing, do you think of your reader at all or, or are you writing for the story, for the characters, for yourself? Are readers on your radar? I, that is a very good question. Um, because of my love of film, I'm better at screenplay writing. So for me, it starts off with me. I run to the empty computer screen and I picture it being the audience in a theater. So I write it as a screenplay as it's happening now. Sherry is better at the novelization and getting in the characters' heads. And that's what we hash out. And, um, So, yeah, it works for me to tell it as it's happening, and especially for the action sequences. And, you know, if I wanted to film them someday, I have the scripts. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I I think I – that's a hard question to answer. You know, I think you stumped me. I don't – I never thought about it. How much of it is me thinking about the reader who's going to read it, and how much is me just – gushing with the fun of taking it out of my head and putting it on the paper um, or in the computer these days. Um, I guess, yes, I I think the reader is always important um, from whether or not we're hitting an audience that we feel it'll resonate with to the, um, like, I'll read something out loud to hear it. Mm-hmm. And if someone, and I have to ask myself, if someone's reading that, are they going to stumble? Like you said about the names, are they going to stumble? Are they going to feel like it flows? Is there a word or an inflection that's going to, to pull them back in and keep them engaged? So I think about it from that perspective, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. I don't want to change your style because I think it's important to get out what you need to get out and not write for the reader. I, as you say, I think that's kind of an intriguing question and uh, different people mm-hmm. react react differently to it. What about the uh, feedback? What kind of feedback have you been getting from readers? Reviews have been good. Yeah, so far all five stars. Yeah, yeah reviews have been really good. Um, I think... I think where we need to work on uh, is how we market our. Again, we wanted to write and didn't really think much about how we would market it once we put it out there. And so we're learning. We're, we're, we're making an effort to learn how to tell the story so that we get how to market ourselves to get that story out there more. Um, we're just so involved in telling it that we didn't think to stop and learn the craft of marketing. That's a challenge that everybody has. Uh, you know, you want to write, you want to tell the story, and to put that marketing hat on um, is a learning curve. It takes time. So, yep, I wish there was a magical answer for that, but there just isn't. So, do do what do what feels best to you organically. Yeah. All right. As we begin to wrap up, I want to make sure that we're not missing anything that you wanted to highlight about your two books today. Gosh, I think we heard it. Um, yeah. I, I think we covered a lot. I 
I greatly appreciate your time and interviewing us and, and not knowing what to expect exactly. Although we did listen to several of your podcasts in advance. We were listening and we were like, wow, she knows how to ask the right questions. Yeah. And it actually made me feel a little better knowing that you know what to ask me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank, so. thank you for that. You know what? I'm just interested. How's that? I'm always so interested as to what makes people do what they do. And, and this was, particularly fascinating to me as it's a couple writing. It's a husband and wife writing, and that brings with it all other kinds of situations that solo author doesn't experience. So I was very, very interested to hear how you two work together, and it just sounds like it's magic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love I love everything you said. All right, well, if, if you would share then any and all contact information where folks can get a hold of you, find out more about you, get copies of your books, wherever you want to take us, go ahead. So we, our books are available on Amazon. My email is uh, Blake Shimshock at gmail, uh, Blake Shimshock seven at gmail dot com, and I am Sherry dot Shimshock at gmail dot com, and that's probably the best way to reach us. We're also on Facebook. Facebook, yeah. Again, yeah, we're learning. We're rookies with a capital <laughs> R, <laughs> and uh, we have one friend that wants to help us build a website. So you know, all that is coming, and so it's under construction, as they say. So uh, we'll get there. <laughs> Very good. You're on Amazon, and so folks can find you there. It's Blake and Sherry Shimshock, and the two books are titled "The Hunt for Valdoon" and "The Edge of the Abyss." Book one and two. After listening to this, I think folks have to go and, and get copies of your books just to see how all of your beautiful work comes together. I look forward to future works as well. So thank you both so much for taking the time to share you and your process with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.